0: Hey guys, Rachel here. So today's episode is actually a replay um, from last year, and I kind of wanted to um, address why. So because it is Black History Month, um, I am wanting to feature Black women in motorsports. So at least one episode every week will have a Black woman in motorsports featured. Now. Some of these will be replays and some of them will not be. So it just really depends on the week. Um, So this is our first one and it is a replay. And this one is about Cheryl Lynn Glass, who is the first black woman to race sprint cars here in the U.S. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered hosted by your favorite bougie race wife Rachel Thornhill. Every week she shares stories of her life as a race wife and other women in motorsports, giving them a platform so their voices can be heard. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Race Wife Unfiltered. I am your host, Rachel Thornhill. Today is going to be part one of my mini-series that I'm going to be doing on Black women in motorsports. So obviously, I thought about that I should do this, one, one, with it being Black History Month, but also because... Most people don't know about any black women in motorsports, period. Right. So I feel that they are extremely underrepresented. And um, unfortunately, in this one, the lady is no longer here. So she cannot share her own story. So I felt that you guys would get her story through me. Um, I'm, there is so much information on this woman that obviously I wouldn't have been able to talk about everything in her life uh because this would make for an extremely long podcasts so I'm doing what I can and that doesn't mean that this won't be long <laughs> um but it's not going to be as long as what it could be um and I'm going to do one black woman every episode until I feel I've covered all of them. Um, I didn't want to stick a bunch of women in one episode because I feel that that's not going to do their stories justice. Um, I want to be very thorough. Um, I, I've done research on this woman. I made, I want to make sure that I tell her story to the best of my ability. And I don't want to take time away from telling her story be able to make room for other people within the podcast. So that's why I'm only doing one woman per podcast episode, right? So without further ado, um, here's the story about Cheryl Lynn Glass. So Cheryl Lynn Glass was the first female, black female sprint car driver. Okay. So She was born in 1961 in Mountain View, California. Now, guys, you got to think about the time period that we're dealing with. 1961, okay? You've got to remember she's going through segregation, desegregation, you know, civil rights movement, all of that, right? So you got to take that, you need to put that in your mindset when you hear her story because. you know, she's, she's dealing with some really big hardships, right? Um, when it comes to being a black person in America. So, um, she grew up, so she grew up mainly in the Seattle, Washington area up that way. Um, so at the age of nine, she started driving quarter midgets. So, um, for anybody that's not aware of what quarter midgets are, they're more like go-karts. Um, but So that's what she was into at the time. So she was a part of the Washington Quarter Midget Association um, at Everett's Payne Field near. And guys, look, I'm not from Washington State. If I pronounce these cities wrong, please correct me if you know. Um, You can just, you know, correct me. Just tell me on Facebook. Twitter Instagram wherever just let me know if i'm saying these names wrong. So this place is called I'm hoping Mukilto. Mukilto. I'm I'm hoping i'm saying that right. Um it is M U K I L T E O. Her first year competing, she was the first female named rookie of the year. So I mean y'all in her first year, she dominated. And she had never been in a, in any type of racing vehicle ever. At nine, she just dominated and became rookie of the year. So in 1977, she was, she was 15. Okay. She wanted her goal to be that she would strive to compete and win the Indy 500. So, The reason why she was so adamant about that was because in 1977, a woman by the name of Janet Guthrie, she, um, she was the first woman to compete in the Indy 500 at that time. So let's just say that she wanted to do it too. Right. But the difference is obviously Janet didn't win, but Cheryl was determined that, that she was going to be the woman to do it. Okay. Um, but this meant that she was going to have to get way more serious about getting more seat time on asphalt, right. To make that happen. So she graduated from high school. Y'all, I mean, listen to this. This woman was a genius. She graduated from high school at the age of 16, all right, in August of 1978. And then she started at the University of Washington as a pre-med student. And then she switched to engineering, which doesn't surprise me that she switched to engineering because of her parents' background. So her mom worked for Boeing. All right. So for people that don't know what Boeing is, that's, it has to do with jet planes, right? Airplanes. So her mom had an engineering background. And so this, you know, and her dad also, um, I believe had an engineering background as well. So her parents were extremely intelligent people. So it doesn't surprise me that she actually would have chosen that same profession anyway um so she switched to engineering and then in 1979 she started appearing like on on tv like she started having tv appearances and she would talk about like her life as a race car driver as an artist as well because at nine years old that's how she funded her race car was at nine years old she started her own business um and it was she would make dolls and so they were porcelain, uh, dolls. And so she would sell them. She would sell them in, you know, like at fairs at you know, different places and markets, things like that. And so from the money that she made in her business on top of the money that her dad gave her, that's how she was able to race. So she partially funded her own, her own racing. Um, and then, after that, after she had been racing the quarter midgets for about nine years, she switched from the quarter midgets to the half midgets. And then she, when she was 18, which was in January of 1980, she pretty much was like, okay, I've got to, like, she wanted to become a pro racer, like, um, then and, and really get serious about it. So she formed her own racing team. It was called Glass Racing which at that time was the only black owned professional auto racing team at the time. Um and you guys got to remember this is a huge thing. I mean, you know, this woman is breaking down barriers. Like I mean, she is like she's just doing things that have not happened. Like she is paving the way, right? So she was the president, the driver and the co-owner. So her dad was the other owner. Um and he was the vice president and the general manager and also he was a mechanic on her team and her dad was not a mechanic her dad self was self-taught um he so he taught himself to work on her car so um and then the other person that was a part of her team was her soon-to-be first husband um his name was Richard Allen Linwall and he was the crew chief and head mechanic so her quarter midget uh, record was impeccable. Like, I mean, when I say this woman dominated, she dominated. Um, there, she—I mean, her award collection was extremely impressive. So she had over two hundred and fifty trophies, three hundred ribbons, and she had all these other awards. Like, pretty much whatever she could get an award in, she she tried her hardest to get. So, I mean, she was a major overachiever, uh, but she did it right. So she held six track records in several state and regional championships in, in Washington. And she was nicknamed the Lady and Lady Glass. So that's what she mainly went by. So after she had dominated the quarter midget world, right? I mean, there was some she needed to move up to the next big thing. Well, because the Indy 500 was still her goal, but she knew that she couldn't take the traditional route of trying to um, go to the Indy 500 because she lacked sponsorship and she still needed more driving experience, right? Because she had only been doing quarter midgets. So her next tackle was sprint cars. all right. And sprint cars in the Pacific Northwest, that's part of sprint car country. Like you know, there, there's enough people running sprint cars up there for her to be able to race like on a regular basis. So what she did was she dropped out of college after two and a half years of being there. And so she could drive full time, um, in the sprint cars. So her sprint car racing journey began at, and once again, guys, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's scog so S K A G I T. I'm hoping it's Skagit, but it might not be. Speedway and Mount Vernon. So Mount Vernon is about sixty miles north of Seattle. Um, and that's just to, get, to give you guys like around about area, like approximate area of where of where that is. Because honestly, I didn't know where that was either. Um, in Washington State, all I know is literally seattle like that's the like that's a major city so like that's about all i know um so that so that kind of helps i guess for people that are not um familiar with that area um and she was the first black woman sprint car driver in that speedway's 26 year history at that time now um i do not know i did not Research that and maybe i should have but i do not know if sky at speedway is still open you know i know racetracks close and some become abandoned and things like that so i do not know if that is still open but um i'm willing to do the research and figure that out <laughs> um and maybe we can do like a bonus episode because like i said this woman has so much history to her that honestly i'm not even going to cover all of it in this pot in this podcast episode Um, so after she spent time there like I mean she was literally the crowd's favorite people pulled for that woman like every single time she raced like she was definitely uh well known at that speedway and um like she was even like in contention for rookie of the year there um and after So after that, she made her trip out out of state because she wanted to take on more territory. Right. So she she ends up in California where she graduates from the Bob um, Bondurant School of High Performance Driving at Golden State International Raceway. All right. And then after that, um, she's been very fortunate to not have had like any major regs like all this time. But unfortunately her first major crash comes the night of October 25th, 1980 at Manzanita uh Speedway in Arizona where she was competing in the Western World Sprint Championship. Now y'all let let me let me give y'all a visual on on this woman and like her size because this really makes a difference too. Uh, um when it comes to this crash because you know the a smaller when you're a smaller person you can't take as much impact right so this woman was very small so she was five foot three and she was 115 pounds so just to kind of kind of like compare okay you guys have seen what i look like right so i'm five one all right so i'm only two inches shorter than this woman And I weigh, I weigh 109 pounds, right? So, I mean, me and her are only about, there's only like a six pound difference, okay? So, yeah, so she's a very small person. So luckily she had no broken bones in this, but she suffered major like soft tissue damage to multiple areas of her body, but the worst thing was her knees. She had to have four knee operations because of this, this crash. And honestly, I could see why. So for people that have never been inside of a sprint car and I've sit, I've sat in one because my husband used to race one. Uh, when I tell you there is no room, there is no room inside of a sprint car. There is none. Your arms, like you cannot even move your arms. Your arms literally have to be at your side, at all times like you're stiff okay your knees if you get into a wreck your knees are hitting like up underneath the car because where the steering wheel is and underneath the car that's all that's all you've got and you literally can't even see like you literally can't even see out the car very much like you have a very 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 small window of sight so When I tell you, like, I, I could see why she would have had messed up knees. I mean, you're, you can easily hit your knees on a, um, in a sprint car easily. I've done it just getting in and out of one, you know, um, they're, they don't leave you any room. There is no comfort in a sprint car. None. (laughs) Um, so So right there, like this is where she mentioned, like I'm paraphrasing what she said, but when y'all hear this, this type of crash, it sounds scary as fuck. It really does. All right. So she mentioned that the crash happened due to the back end of her sprint car getting loose and she hit the wall. Now, once again, for people that are not aware of how sprint cars are, they're so light. And like, I mean, and they're going extremely fast. We're talking about some of these sprint cars, depending on what size she was running. I don't know if she was running a full size or not. Um, They didn't they didn't they didn't explain that. So but no matter what these sprint cars, some of these sprint cars are going, you know, over 100 miles. They're going over 100 miles an hour sometimes, especially in the straightaways. Um, Hitting the wall at that type of speed can do some damage but also at the same time if like her if the um if the gas like gets stuck or anything like that sometimes these sprint cars can climb the they can climb the the fence they don't they don't always just when they hit they stop that doesn't always happen and so that's what happened with her it ended up climbing a 20-foot fence and the car started rolling along the fence and it flipped 13 times then it dropped back on the track and tumbled in over in all right so i mean that's a lot to go through and then she's such a small person right so she's being tossed around in that car like that um but luckily and that tells you she's a hell of a hell of a woman she did not let that crash deter her from from racing she kept going you know and some people wouldn't have walked away they would have walked away from racing completely after that happened um but she didn't she didn't let it she didn't let it keep her from her goal because right her goal is to to get to the indy 500 like she's not letting that stop her so she moved forward and then she became a member of the World of Outlaws Florida Circuit. Okay. Um, and then in in 1981, she was up for the Northwestern Sprint Car Association Rookie of the Year Award. And she won. She beat out Al, Al Unser Jr. for it. So, I mean, guys, you know, um, that's a big name. That's not a small name. That's a big name. And, you know, in the sprint car community so yeah so she was definitely making a name for herself right she also started to get some sponsorships finally you know some brand deals so she had um olympia brewing company and elegant eyewear a seattle-based eyeglass designer they decided to you know to put their money into her racing career and support her and so for the people that aren't aware of what elegant eyewear was i mean they mainly made like really like designer like high-end like sunglasses now i don't know if this is a place that still exists um but the thing is with her so Cheryl was a model. She went to modeling school and all that stuff. And she was even on like spreads. Like she was on Ebony. She was on Essence. She was on Jet. She was on um, a bunch of different um, magazines. And for people that are not uh, aware of like Jet or Essence or Ebony, these are black owned magazines. So um, just putting that out there because some people might not know what those magazines are but those are those are uh black owned magazine companies and she was on like some of their covers or they she was inside their spread like doing modeling and things like that so um so she was well known in the mo- in the modeling industry as well and so that they they felt that putting the two together um you know would bring it would just bring like it would give her like this edge like this style um that you didn't really see um you know in the in the racing uh industry so after that i would so in 82 she took it so she took a chance in USAC so she did the USAC Sil- silver crown which is also known as the Hundred. So she was able to do that um, because she was given the opportunity by Charlie Patterson. He was the owner of Patterson drive shafts. Um, he tried to get her a sponsorship with somebody else. You know, she, he introduced her to, uh, to Indianapolis motor speedway, but there wasn't any luck. So he just took a chance and he used his own money to sponsor her. Um, and then the silver, a silver crown car that he built for her um, actually was put into the racing hall of hall of fame in um in knoxville iowa uh so for people that are not familiar with uh, uh knoxville iowa um this is kind of deterring away from this uh, um this episode a little bit from her story but knoxville iowa is extremely known um in the sprint car community so you have knoxville speedway that's up there and when i say that that place is literally like one of the biggest tracks for sprint cars it is and and i mean the way that that track is built and how it's maintained is some of the best racing that you will ever see um because you have the Knoxville nationals up there. And to be honest, that is on my bucket list. Like I want to go see that shit so bad. Right. Um, because I'm telling you, like when you've seen sprint cars race, it's an amazing experience, but I have heard, and most people hear that that is the uh, like epitome of, of sprint car racing. Like once you have seen the Knoxville nationals, nothing else compares and so i think that's amazing that her car was put in the hall of fame up there and to be honest i don't know if it's still there um i it didn't i couldn't find any other information um within the articles that i did look at um about it but if it is still up there and i go up there i'm gonna be very happy to see it because i i'm glad that her car is there um But anyway, back to that. Uh, So she placed twenty first in the race, right? And and after the race, she was asked by media, okay, if her being a black woman in racing was a hardship or if it was helpful, like whichever one. And this is a direct quote from her. Okay, this is what she said: Both women aren't supposed to be sprint drivers, and most men. Really haven't liked me now. This was put in quotes, it says back in the northwest. So she was talking about the men that she raced with back in the Pacific Northwest, she wasn't talking about anybody else. Um, just to give context, because there, I'm guessing that she never said that in her quote, but they put that in there for context. Um, their attitudes have made it very difficult for me to race but I've been accepted around the professional drivers I was brought up to be very open-minded and never looked at as ne- never looked at it as I was black and couldn't do it I'm determined to prove I can handle it so She ended up racing, like, other events throughout her career. You know, one of those things being the Can-Am Sports Club Series. Uh, Also, she did other things as well. So she had business affairs that she had. And then she also did a lot of political activism. Once again, guys, you got to remember, this is not... I mean, this was the early 80s. But she was still doing a lot of things. Um when it came when it came to race, you know, when it came to um, oppression and things like that. So you got it. You got to think about that, too. Um, And unfortunately, her doing that, even though what she was doing was right, you know, um, it does eventually in her story lead. um, I feel it leads to her demise, um, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. So she, so she was also recognized for for her activism and then her business affairs. She co-founded an an engineering program with her father. Um, it was called the Minority Engineering Retention Program, and then it was later named uh, the Minority Science and Engineering Program at the University of Washington in 1986. So I mean, she created a whole engineering program for minorities so they would be able to you know have that opportunity um to become engineers and then in june june 17 1987 she was honored at the candace awards at the metropolitan museum of art in new new york as a trailblazer now uh, this award is sponsored by was sponsored by the National Coalition of 100 of 100 black women um and so this was a an award that they only give to two black women so she was the only black woman that was a professional race car driver in the country at the time so I mean she that's why she was considered a trailblazer because she was the only one doing it um. So, um, but unfortunately she never got the chance to race in the Indy 500, but she did race in over 100 events during her adult career. And so, you know, you might think that that's a little, that's, that's not a lot because obviously she went full time when she was, she started becoming a professional racer at 18. Um, and then when she was tw- almost 21 was when she went full time, But you also have to understand that there were times in between there where she took time off. So she didn't race consistently um, throughout her adult career um, at that time because she did take time off. Like she got married. She was married twice. Um, I didn't talk about her second husband um, at all because not saying that he's not relevant but there wasn't anything in his uh about him really there was only like one little paragraph that she had got married to him and then they got divorced so like she wasn't married um when she passed away so um and they had no children so she didn't have children um when when she passed away either like she she had no kids at all Um, so, you know, she was a single woman, you know, unless she was possibly seeing people, but just never got married. Um, but there wasn't anything about him doing anything like really significant in her career. Cause like her first husband was part of her racing team, right? I mean, he was her crew chief and he was the head mechanic. Like he worked with her. Now it doesn't say if he left the team like after they got divorced so I don't know if he stayed or not like there wasn't much information about that so that's why I don't have it but I mean I can always look and try and find that information but the like I said the articles that I that I chose to to look into unfortunately none of them said anything about you know what happened with him after they um after they divorced if he stayed on her team or not um so her last official race was in the cart american racing series indie lights um at phoenix international speedway on april 21st 1991 so what happened is she had a major crash but this crash was career ending like she could not get back into into a car um you know, she pretty much had to end her career there. Um, now the next part is very upsetting. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know of trigger warnings here, because there are going to be some things that I'm going to say that can trigger some people. So if you, if you get triggered by sexual assault, if you get triggered by, um, you know, uh, like major violence, like police brutality, things like that. Um, I would say, go ahead and turn it off here. Um, I don't, I know that it's very hard for some people to hear things like that. So I'm warning you ahead of time. So Cheryl Lynn Glass died. July 15, 1997 at the age of 35. That's very young, guys. 35 years old. Like shit, y'all, I'm I'm going to be 37 at the end of this month. Like that's crazy. Like but you have to understand how she died. So it was classified as a suicide, but the family disputed that finding, okay? Now, this I'll give you the context of what of of why they said that so her body was found in seattle's lake union below the aurora bridge now the thing is there was no suicide note that was found and supposedly cheryl did not show any signs of wanting to alive herself unalive herself at all right um and also There were multiple things that had happened prior to her death, like not that long before her death, that makes this very, very sus. Okay, so there were some white nationalists that had broken into her home. They robbed her. They raped her. Now. Oh, and they also wrote like a bunch of like racial slurs and swastikas and things like that all over her home and like on the outside of her home. Now, the thing is, the police did not believe her. They did not accept it. They said that there wasn't enough evidence, but she had had she had ran into multiple issues with the police in that area. She had been beaten by the police officers multiple times. She had, um, been harassed by her neighbors. She had someone literally stick a bomb in her mailbox. Um, so this woman was going through it. She had been threatened by so many people because of her activism her political activism that's what was making people angry because that's what she because she she was she had still been doing it but then she stopped when all of those threats happened but i'm guessing you know that is why um her family felt that it didn't make sense that she would have committed you know unaliving herself because she was threatened, but I'll be honest though. And like, I don't know, I don't know if the family suspected foul play or whatever. Um, there wasn't much like true crime stuff about her case, um, that I, that I saw in these, in these articles that I looked at, Um, And to be honest, guys, if y'all want like a bonus episode where I go into that and I actually start digging into that and doing the true crime type thing, I would 100 percent be absolutely okay with that because I love true crime stuff. But I also want to respect the family and I don't want to dig into it unless it's an open case still. If it is or if they are still trying to push the envelope that it was foul play. Right. Um, other than that, I don't want to look into it because the family needs closure no matter what. and if if the family's not pushing that anymore, then I'm not going you know I'm not gonna tear into this woman's life like that. but if the, it's possibly a cold case or the family is still denying that she is you know they're still disputing the the uh, suicide, Thing, then yes, I will one hundred percent, you know, start digging all up in that. All right, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Like I would really, I would actually do the work, and I would actually be like a, I'd be an investigative journalist. I would do it all. Like I would, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But like I said, it really just depends on if the family finally has closure or not. And like I said, there wasn't any. Um, additional information on it so i'm hoping that they got their closure but if they didn't then i'm hoping that they if it's not me that it's somebody else that's out there that's willing to look into this woman's case and and hopefully bring light to what truly happened to her um, because it's sad that she died at such a young age um, and obviously it wasn't from natural causes. So, you know, I feel that <laughs> I don't know if her soul's at peace or not. And, and y'all know that I'm a pretty spiritual person. So like, I, I really hope that her soul is at peace, but I mean, we don't really know. Um, we don't because we don't know if, if she is at peace or if she isn't. Um, but either way. The lady's legacy lives on and she will not be forget forgotten. Like, I'm not going to let people forget. That's why I made this. is That's why I created this episode. That's why I wanted to talk about her, because let's be real. I didn't even know about this woman until un- until two days ago. Right. Like, literally two days ago, like I found out about her because I was actually looking I knew that I wanted to do um, a mini series on Black women in motorsports because I didn't know if there were any. I'm being honest; like, I did not know if there were any because I was like, "Well, you never hear about any," so I wasn't sure if there were any to begin with. And, but I'm glad that I did this because Cheryl Lynn Glass was the first one that showed up like when i googled black women in motorsports she was the first person that showed up um and i ended up so i'm going to mention um the articles that i that i found so the article that actually i found first was on femalesinmotorsport.com it was on their website now females in motorsport.com is a very has a very large following if you follow them on Instagram which I do I follow them on Instagram um and I actually reached out to them um because I would love to collaborate with them uh, they mainly handle f1 um they don't really talk about any other women in other motorsports um and it's and it's this is there's nothing wrong with that it's just that they they specialize in f1 um, because they have connections in f1 um, i believe the the owner of females in motorsport actually works for an f1 team or like she does media um for f1 so she has those direct connections right and so it makes sense um but they don't really cover much of any of the other motorsports. And so I reached out to them to possibly see if I could collab with them and maybe like offer some guest posting, you know, where I give them information on some other, like some female drivers in other motorsport areas, you know? Um, You know, I haven't heard back from them, but that's okay. You know, I know they're busy. Like I'm not even tripping. And even if they didn't want to collaborate with me, that's okay. You know, I mean, you gotta be okay with, Hear and knows sometimes right um but i got that's how i found out but the the article that she was on on there it was actually a multiple black women that were on there it wasn't just um it wasn't just her because it was one blog post but like multiple black women on it so it was pretty long but it wasn't there wasn't a ton of information on her because obviously they had to separate it between multiple black women so um and they and that came it came out last year so I was like well I need to find some other information and luckily they had a backlink um to an essay that was written by a lady named Linda Holden Givens um and it was on historylink.org and um supposedly she um this this essay that she wrote on um on Lady Glass was due to like the Seattle office of arts and culture in King's count in King County had a lot to do with her essay. I'm guessing they must've provided her a bunch of the information and all of that. And which is great. I mean, I'm glad that, um, the, the office of arts and culture out there is, is wanting her story to be heard. Um, and so she wrote that, um, and then, um, and I got a lot of information from, from her essay. I mean, her essay had so much information. Like it was, it's to the point where I couldn't take every, like, I couldn't even pick and prod through all of it because she had so much information about her. Um, and so that's where some of my information came from. And then also, uh, on Hemming, Hemmings.com, Um, a lady by the name of Francesca Steele, she wrote an article about Lady Glass as well. And so I took some of the information that she had, um, as well to create this podcast. So I will be including all of those links, um, in the description, in the social media posts that I make, all of it. Also, if I can find them like on Instagram or you know any social media um I will tag them because they are the ones that helped me create this podcast like I got the information from them so I'm gonna definitely tag them and I will link all of you know the information that I got from them um so you guys can go and read them you can go and read the articles um but I mean the main thing is i I did. I picked women. I picked women that wrote the that wrote the articles. Now, does that mean that men wouldn't have done this justice? No, not true. But I wanted to pick women that wrote about this because women in media, when it comes to motorsports, are so underrepresented. Right? So underrepresented. Women in motorsports. Period. That is why I wanted to be able to give them this platform, even though, yeah, they're not talking here. I used their information and now I'm crediting them. And I would rather credit women that took the time to write this stuff about motorsports, period, because that's what my platform is all about. My platform is about giving women in motorsports a voice and this is my way of paying them back for the information that I used to be able to create this episode for you. So yeah. So I feel that I should lift them up. I mean, they're writers. They took the time out of their day, whenever that was, you know, to write this information for us to see it, to spread Lady Glass's legacy, because her legacy needs to be known. To be honest, this woman should, her, we should be hearing about her way more than a lot of other people. I mean, the fact that she was the first black female sprint car driver, like, no, I don't know anybody that knows that. I'll be real with you. I don't know of anyone that knows that. And that's a damn shame. Like, there are so many female sprint car drivers these days, right? Right. And even though she might not have been the first female sprint car driver, she was one of the first and she still paved the way. And she definitely paved the way for women of color that want to be sprint car drivers because she was the only one at the time. And she did it at a time where it was very dangerous for black people in general in America because, I mean, you got to remember, segregation was, you know, was a dangerous time. And then even whenever, you know, desegregation happened, you know, with the whole, in, you know, integrating the schools and stuff, it was still a very dangerous time. And so, you know, she did this all while living through the civil rights movement and and everything. And so, yeah, I mean, we've got to give props where you know where they're due. And this woman went through it and she, and she strived to, to help minorities in general to get the representation that they needed and to be able to get the education that they could get, you know, and, and, and that's amazing. And she should be commended for that. And her name should be heard all the time. And so that's why I, created this mini series is because i want black women in motorsports to have a voice because to be honest most people don't even know that black women in motorsports exist let's be real i didn't even know that there was a black female sprint car driver i never would have even thought that because you don't hear about it you don't hear about black women in motorsports and that needs to change and and yeah, I will feature other women in motorsports because that's what my whole entire platform is about. But I feel that black women don't need to be celebrated just in Black History Month. They need to be celebrated all months of the year, every day. Right. So I'm going to make this series as long as I as long as I can, um, because they're not talked about. In motorsports and most and most people don't know who they are now the thing is of course with uh lady glass she was not here to tell her story so i obviously had to tell it for her but any black women that are in motorsports that are alive and well i would love to interview them and and have them on here and share their stories because, the, you know, for them to share their stories on their own and not through me, um, you know, unless they don't feel comfortable being on a podcast because, you know, some people don't like to be on podcasts. And if they give me the permission to just interview them and I share the information, fine. You know, I mean, that's fine, too. Um, so whichever way they want, they want to do it, whether it's just me um, talking and I'm just presenting all the information from their story, or if it's me, me and them speaking together, you know, and I'm talking to them and interviewing them. So it really just depends on, you know, what they want to do, but I definitely want to do more, um, on the women that literally paved the way. I mean, you know, they're, we don't hear about them and I feel that they need to be celebrated. Okay guys. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed that episode, whether it was your first time listening to it or if it was a replay for you as well. Um, And honestly, re-listening to old episodes of mine, like it, it really, um, (laughs) sometimes they're cringe, but sometimes they're not. Um, because it really shows how much I've grown as a podcaster, Um, just how the way that I speak now compared to what I did back then. Um, But I definitely was very passionate about um, Cheryl's story um, because it was something that most people don't know about, and also um, it was a very sad story as well. Um, I hate that her life ended so early um, and she could have possibly done way more in the sport than what she had already done. Um, And it was very unfortunate that um, that even though it's considered a cold case, um, it feels, you know, someone took her life. Um, And, you know, that's just not fair to her or her family to have and, and for them to be able to have peace. So. Um, so yeah, besides that guys, um, on a lighter note, because obviously that was a really sad thing to talk about. Um, if you guys are loving the content still, definitely make sure that you rate and review the podcast, um, on whatever platform you guys are on, um, because that helps more people see the podcast because the algorithms when it comes to podcasts are weird and rating and reviewing it helps push it out there for more people to find it. So definitely do that. Um, you can rate on Spotify only and well, you can ask questions too. There's Q and a on, um, Spotify as well. Um, and then you can, um, rate and review on Apple. I'm not sure about other platforms if you can do any of that, but if you can, go ahead Um, and definitely share the podcast with others if you, um, if you choose. So that's it for me, guys. Until, um, until Wednesday, if you're a VIP or on Thursday, um, if you're finding it on social media, take care. Go out and uh, manifest your best lives and I will see you guys later. Bye.